The notion of the Trudeau government's just transition legislation has created fears in Alberta that the feds are coming for oil jobs. This in turn has sparked outrage from politicians on the left and the right, with Premier Daniel Smith leading the charge against the legislation, which is yet to be unveiled. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post reporter and producer of this podcast, Tyler Dawson, joins the show to discuss the political outrage over just transition in Alberta, why Daniel Smith has taken a slightly less combative tone with the Prime Minister, and how the issue could factor into the upcoming Alberta election. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. Please leave us a rating, a review, tell your friends about the show. So Tyler, a couple weeks back, we were talking with Calgary Herald business columnist Chris Varco about the concept of just transition and why it could have a big impact on Alberta's oil industry. Obviously, that is a concern in Alberta, but this all has political ramifications. And specifically looking at the situation in Alberta, as as Alberta Premier Daniel Smith has made a lot of hay out of the notion of just transition, why is it such a heated political issue? Well, it, it's a heated political issue for a couple of reasons. The first one is that it's, you know, sort of a time-honored and tested proposition for Alberta politicians to stoke fear of the federal government and say that, you know, they're coming for our jobs, they're destroying our industry, they don't respect us, so on and so forth. You know, we've seen that um, that played out in the 2019 election, and, and there was also sort of, you know, this high watermark of Alberta alienation at that point that we hadn't seen for sort of the 30 years prior. So to some extent, it's a continuation of this political maneuvering that politicians have found out here that really benefit them. And then the other part of it is the more practical fear, perhaps, that there is a change coming to the oil and gas sector and that people might lose their jobs. They might make less money. They might have to go back to school and come up with new training. So so it, it's, it's this legacy political imperative in some ways, um, but it's also this practical fear that, that there is a transition coming to the oil and gas sector and nobody really knows what's going to happen and people are afraid of that. So looking at the initial reaction to this, when there was talk coming of this legislation being unveiled, what was the initial reaction in Alberta from from the Smith government? Was it fiery rhetoric? Was it Was it anger? Was it an idea that they'd need to really you know, hold the Fed's feet to the fire and make sure that they don't beggar our biggest industry. Yeah, the the initial reaction was was quite strong. That they said, you know, sort of they were going to fight this tooth and nail. Um, and and you know, it actually was not um, it was not just Daniel Smith's United Conservatives that were saying this. You know, Rachel Notley's New Democrats came out and said that the Feds needed to go back to the drawing board on this whole idea. And that sort of stems from the sense that, you know, if there's a just transition, is this a sneaky plan to shut down the oil and gas sector? So that's sort of the one side of, of how people are looking at this. Of course, the other side, which you would get from the federal liberals, is the belief that there is a change coming to the oil and gas sector. There is going to be a transition. You know, oil and gas demand is sort of projected to fall off in the next 30 years. And so there is going to be some sort of change. And so the federal government sort of believes that they ought to put some sort of mechanism in place to try and weather this storm. Um, and and uh, the the perspective from the Alberta government certainly seems to be that, oh my goodness, they're they're coming to shut down our oil and gas and and force some um, you know force oil and gas workers to become janitors and uh, Uber Eats drivers. Is it a case where, you know, the the idea that we don't have a lot of information about what the transition, just transition as as it's called, is going to look like is creating 
perhaps more fear than it needs to. The the notion that this isn't going to happen right away. I know that the federal government has made a lot of hay about the fact that they they bought and and are building the Trans Mountain expansion pipeline. That there's you know we need natural gas for hydrogen development. There are countries that are clamoring for our resources here. That the idea that maybe if the federal government was able to get more information out there, there'd be less anger about it? Yeah, I mean, that's tough to say, you know, sort of given what I said earlier about the fact that the sort of default position um, for politicians out here is to be angry, I think. But yeah, we don't know very much. We, we don't really have any idea what, what's going to come of this. You know, there, there's background briefings and transition documents that are out there. And um you know, to some extent, those have actually fueled the fear. You know, there was a, a document floating around a couple of weeks ago that talked about, um, you know, how sectors would be affected by this, you know, whether that was agriculture, whether that was directly oil and gas production, things like that. And, and people looked at those numbers and sort of really panicked about it. Um, it so, but yeah, I think there is definitely a, sort of a paucity of information here, and that is contributing to the debate. I mean, the liberals can't, they're not in a position yet to come out and say, look, we're doing X, Y, Z, we are not, you know, mandating job cuts or something like that. Um, so so it, it has sort of allowed this void of information to, to open up. And obviously, that's been filled with uh, a lot of fears about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all this, we've had instances where the prime minister has criticized the Alberta government relating to whether it's it's doing enough to reduce its emissions, whether it's doing enough on carbon capture, utilization and storage. And on the flip side, we've had the prime minister kind of say to our allies who have come to us looking for more exports of natural gas that, you know, we're not necessarily in a position to be doing that. Does, does this lead to more frustration and uncertainty just the, the fact that the signals that the government is giving to a province like Alberta is that you're not necessarily A, doing enough and B, a part of our economic strategy. There is, I think, certainly a um, clash between the province's priorities and the federal government's priorities. Um, and and I don't know if that circle can be squared, so to speak. Um, you know, you're, you're right that when uh, Germany's chancellor came to eastern canada looking for for natural gas um he basically got the bums rush from trudeau and and the the tone was i think a little bit different when when um the japanese delegation was here a couple weeks ago because you know you had trudeau saying that we will continue to be sort of a reliable energy provider and, and, and things like that so you know i i came away from that with the sense maybe that this is sort of a work in progress there's discussions to be had you know certainly something like exporting energy off the, the West Coast is a, a more straightforward proposition than than exporting it off the East Coast. But, you know, you look at the sort of overall trajectory of the last, you know, what is that, eight years of uh, the Trudeau government, and there hasn't been a lot that people perceive as good for Alberta. You know, it, it started out with the with the Bill C-48 and Bill C-69, which were perceived as sort of direct attacks on the oil and gas sector. Um, you, you had a major economic downturn in Alberta that that sort of coincidentally or because of these things saw some major projects shelved. I think Tech's Frontier Mine is the one that leaps to mind for me. So there, I don't, you know, I don't know if at this point there's anything that the federal liberals could do that would convince a lot of Albertans that 
they are on their side. Um, and I think to some extent that's because you do have competing priorities here. You do have the climate change and environmental priorities of the federal government, and you have the economic priorities of the Alberta government. And it's it's very hard to, I think, uh, resolve the, the clash between those two things, no matter how often politicians say that economic growth and emissions reductions go hand in hand. We'll be right back. Now, since some initial fiery rhetoric from Alberta and from Premier Daniel Smith about just transition, it appears that there may not be a softening of position, but at least there seems to be a change in tactic on the part of Alberta's Premier. How has Smith changed her tone on this? Well, she's adopted the NDP position on it. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe the most glib way to put it. You know, she sent a letter to Trudeau about a week ago now, and in it said, you know, these sort of fights between Alberta and the federal government can't continue. Canadians are sick of them. We need to, you know, sit down at the table and, you know, discuss sort of the way forward, which is essentially what Rachel Notley has been saying for the last four years. You know, she's been arguing that, look, we can be upset about this all we want, but yelling and hollering is not going to actually lead to any sort of change that benefits Albertans. What we need is to have a seat at the table and negotiate with the feds. Um, and that seems to be sort of the, the position that Daniel Smith has adopted in the past week or so, saying that, you know, there's 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 issues that need to be discussed. They have, I think, a list of demands that they want to bring to the federal government. And, and so that's how they seem to be proceeding. Now, the question sort of politically for Daniel Smith on that, um, first of all, is whether or not she can get any wins out of it, um, you know, for sort of the broad swath of the electorate who, who she needs to appeal to in the next few months here because of the election in May. But the other part is um, when when Jason Kenney was ousted as leader, there were basically two issues. The, the first was the pandemic, and that's the one that got a lot of attention. But the other issue was that a lot of United Conservative Party members, members of the party's base, the enthusiastic conservative base in rural and small town Alberta, felt that he had been, you know, way too soft on Ottawa and on Justin Trudeau, which, you know, I think for some observers was like, well, how can anyone possibly think that? You know, he held the equalization referendum. There was all sorts of saber rattling. But supporters of the UCP and supporters of Danielle Smith looked at this and said, well, he got nothing done. He didn't have any wins for Alberta. So they wanted someone who was really going to take the fight to Ottawa even more aggressively. So, so you have this seeming change in tone, this shift in tactics, which I think is probably smart politics in terms of appealing to the people that Danielle Smith needs for the election. But where does it leave those really animated, agitated supporters of hers who, you know, wanted the Alberta Sovereignty Act, who wanted this really, really aggressive stance against Ottawa? So she's put herself in sort of an interesting position here. Yeah, I mean, in in the letter to Trudeau, she she talked about wanting to see it, the Just Transition Program be renamed the Sustainable Jobs Act. She wanted to see the feds focus on things like sustainability, increasing net emissions, accelerating investment in things like carbon capture, which we talked about earlier, um, geothermal technology, petrochemicals, hydrogen, and, and on and on and on. Is there a sense that these are things that they may be able to find common ground on that 
you know, aside from this notion of, of, you know, transitioning people from oil jobs to trucking jobs, that there are, there is some common ground still to be found here that may cool the waters? There is for sure. Um, you know, Peter Guthrie, the energy minister, was at an announcement just a couple weeks ago with, I think, Jonathan Wilkinson, um, talking about hydrogen investment. So, so there's certainly common ground here on, you know, where some of this stuff should go, whether that's hydrogen. Hydrogen probably being, you know, the big area of agreement, I would say. Um, so, so there is common ground. But, you know, these are not, I don't think, super short-term projects and turnarounds. You know, you're not going to see agreement on these things and then an economic boom in the next year or so. So so there's there's that at play here, too. I think there is quite a bit of common ground. But where does that leave, you know, the 200-odd thousand people employed in the oil and gas sector who are, you know, not a part of hydrogen yet in some way? So Premier Daniel Smith has asked Justin Trudeau for a a one-on-one meeting. I know that the premiers are meeting with the prime minister this coming week to discuss all things healthcare. Is there a sense that that Smith and Trudeau will get a chance to to have that conversation next week, or is this something that the premier is still lobbying for? I think she's still lobbying for it. I don't think it's been confirmed. It, it's hard to see to some extent who this benefits. You know, <laughs> you know, you, you can't help but think that a picture of Daniel Smith shaking hands with Justin Trudeau is going to come back to haunt her in some ways. Um, and you can't help but think that if she doesn't secure that meeting. It also doesn't look great, and and for Trudeau, it's maybe the same thing. Um, you know, is is he humoring this sort of radical Alberta politician by meeting with her? So I I don't know what to expect um, from that actually. But your brother, I believe, had quite a good column in the Calgary Herald the other day, arguing that there are enough areas of agreement that whether or not this is a genuine offer from Smith or not, or a bluff or not, Trudeau should call it and and meet with her. Um, so you, you have to think that that's the sort of thing that uh, the federal liberals are are considering as well. Yeah. And this is this is all going on with the specter of a provincial election looming. And we're starting to see, despite some sluggish polling numbers early in her tenure as premier, we're starting to see the UCP kind of regain a little bit of momentum and appear to be in a position where at least if an election were held right now, they'd kind of eke out a narrow majority win is people have talked about Daniel Smith needing to pivot from some of her more controversial positions or some some topics that may not resonate with more Albertans is the change in tone that she's pitching right now um, and the change in approach with Ottawa the kind of thing that political watchers have been saying that she needs to do to potentially not lose an election this spring I think so you know, they're in a period right now where, you know, a few months out from the election, when it becomes very hard to get things done, you know, the public service starts to transition into sort of caretaker mode. It, it, it's just hard to get big policy things done in, in the couple months before an election. So I think what they're trying to do is look at the polling and think about where they need to win seats. So, you know, the, the most recent poll that I think that maybe the first that actually showed um, the UCP ahead has the UCP at 48% and the New Democrats at 45%. So, you know, that's a pretty close margin. And the sort of conventional political wisdom in Alberta is that there's three constituencies. There's Edmonton, there's Calgary, and there's everywhere else. And you need to win two of those three to form government. And the New Democrats have a pretty solid lock on Edmonton. Um, the UCP has an absolute almost total lock on rural and small town Alberta, with the exception of a couple seats in Lethbridge. And that leaves Calgary as sort of the battleground. So they need to 
both parties, frankly, need to be looking at what they are going to do to appeal to voters in Calgary and particularly suburban Calgary. So for Danielle Smith, that might mean softening some of the things that appealed to the conservative base in small town Alberta, things like vaccine mandates, relitigating some of the COVID-19 stuff, talking about the Alberta Sovereignty Act, um, you know, and turning to more bread and butter issues that might appeal to suburban voters. You know, I talked to a, a long, long time conservative operative a couple years ago, and he said, you know, look, every single decision that the United Conservatives make needs to be done through the lens of a suburban stay-at-home mom. They need to think about what that person wants to see from their government and keep that front of mind as they are governing and making policy. So I, I think that's probably the sort of thing we're trying, we're, we're seeing here. Um, you know, things about like affordability and healthcare, some of these bread and butter issues that were really, really neglected in the UCP leadership race, but that polling suggests are top of mind for Albertans of all sorts. And and both parties, I think, are going to be looking quite closely at those things. And in particular, probably looking at how they can appeal to Calgary, um, which which brings to mind the other thing, which is that, you know, you've seen this, this sort of pivot perhaps on some of the more bullish um, approaches to Ottawa. But I think you're also likely to see things about say, transit between Calgary and Banff, um, the government getting involved perhaps in the arena deal in, in, in Calgary to try and get that done. So, you know, I think we're going to see some sort of Calgary-specific catapulting of money in the next little bit to, to try and shore up support there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see how things all play out when it, when it comes to Calgary uh, and the rest of Alberta in the election. And we'll also see how Smith fares in getting a sit down with the prime minister in the coming weeks. Tyler, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Ten Three is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, producer Tyler Dawson. You can read more from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>